Just a quick reminder that these episodes are all backlogged, so we're probably six months away from uh, from any coronavirus talk. So you'll get a, a nice coronavirus-free um, podcast today. And uh, just so you don't freak out when you listen to it saying, why are they not uh, mentioning mentioning this at all? It's uh, it's because this has been recorded for quite a while now. On with the show. Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, joined by co-host Carla Joe Helms, and today we'll be talking Hi, with John Wall. Oh, sorry, Carla, I stepped on you again. John Wall, you did it. We'll be talking <laughs> with John Wall. John Wall today, so we don't yep. really care what happens to me. <laughs> Hello, my people. <laughs> We've got Wall to Wall, John Wall. Uh, John Wall, uh, he's a partner over at Trust, uh, Trust Insights. That's a data science consulting firm. Uh, he's also the producer and co-host of the Marketing Over Coffee podcast. I'll mention that more later. We'll be talking about that, but awesome podcast if you aren't already familiar with it somehow. And uh, he's been profiled in Forbes, Inc., CBS, the Associated Press for his uh, marketing, marketing talents. And he's the author of Marketing Over Coffee, and uh, oh, the Marketing Over Coffee Playbook, sorry about that, and the B2B Marketing Confessions, one of my favorite all-time marketing books. We'll get into talking about that. John, thank you for coming on today, and please tell me the Marketing Over Coffee Playbook is a coffee table book. <laughs> it is not a coffee table book, no, unfortunately. Ah. We, uh, the big thing with the playbook is that we took a bunch of the shows. We took kind of all the, you know, the nuggets from about a year's worth of shows and boiled it down to this one book. So it's a, it's really more of a bathroom book. You can sit down there and just like pick one or two quick ideas off. That's oh, such minutes. a guy thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a guy's book. And then uh, another thing in the back, there's a whole Forget bunch of uh, AI fails. You know, we had a bunch of transcriptions that put out stuff like Chris's stripper names and you know all <laughs> kinds of ridiculous stuff like that. So yeah, it's a little bit lighter and easier to go through. I think, you know, big books are a thing of the past. Everybody wants to be able to get through stuff quickly. So that's kind yeah. of a, a cheat, isn't it? To make a book and you just take a bunch of stuff from your podcast and compile it. Um, <laughs> by cheat, I mean, cheats are great. That's uh, you're putting together a great book, but it isn't like the, the, um, Mark, B2B Marketing Confessions, that is a hardcore information-specific book that takes some serious writing. Yeah, that's a, you know, B2B Marketing Confessions is pretty much like a college textbook. I mean, it's something that you could just sit down and, you know, if you can muscle through the whole of it in two or three weeks without slipping into a coma, you could have your whole, you know, corporate marketing plan done and built. Um, and it, the idea of the playbook, you know, we were hoping is that if it gets enough steam that we just keep to get to crank that money machine every quarter, you know, as the new shows come out, we throw that into a small book and just keep selling the things. But, um, reuse yeah, your content. It, yeah. Repurpose it. Absolutely. But it's just so <laughs> much work to crank it out. It's, it's, yeah. you know, incredible. I'm still PTSD from sitting down at the writing table. I've taken a couple months off and it's going to take a, a few more drinks to get me back at the typewriter. Intern, John, intern. You did the podcast already. You did your part, man. <laughs> Virtual, yeah. That's. Uh, I think we're going to have to look into that because, man, if we're waiting for me to get uh, motivated, it's going to be a while. Yeah, yeah. I like it when people put out a book and it's it's just, I compiled all my tweets from the last two years and here they are. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh, come on, that's cheating. <laughs> yeah, isn't there? I, I hate to admit it, but like there's a ton of books that go to the recycle bin. You know, we get a lot of stuff for marketing over coffee and a lot of them I'm just you know, two or three chapters in, you're like, yeah, you just like you said, you blogged about this two years ago. We don't, we don't need this book. We don't yeah. need this barticle. I've got a handful that people typically for the podcast will send us. And I have to say, I like most of them. I love reading, but I'm illiterate. So typically I will look at the books and if I really like them, I'm looking right now at several from past guests There's, uh, sitting on the table here. Well, what makes you decide if you like them, Sky? I, well, I just kind of crack them open you and like uh, tool around it a little bit. Like yeah. If I like the topic, if the paper it's, it's printed on is good enough, then I go get the audio book. But if it doesn't have an audio book, uh, it's really tough for me to, uh, to get through a book. Your B2B Marketing Confessions, I listen to that on uh, two times speed, probably twice, just zip through it and then listen to it once regular speed. Um, it just allows you to, you know, every day on the drive to work, if you're thinking of reading something, most people have a good half hour plus commute. 
you can get through a book really fast on two times speed um, and then go back and cycle again now that you have the whole picture and really start absorbing. Um, so that's that's a great way to, to absorb all these books. Even though Yeah, I guess I will. Thanks for... Thanks for listening yeah, to it at 1x. Really I made the cut down to the, <laughs> yeah. uh, the slower rate. I mean, it's a 2x. <laughs> oh, no, that has some serious, again, the content in that book. Uh, some of it's a little dated, yeah, but that just turns into humor after a while when you're, when you're talking about <laughs> MySpace techniques and stuff. Um, but the, the content is still great, hardcore. I think specifically about the event section. I remember going back and listening to that again. Now, that is a little not relevant at the moment. But come oh again. Um, yeah, when we're recording this, we're in mid coronavirus uh, lockdown. The NBA just announced it was canceling the season or postponing it yesterday. Um, crazy, crazy stuff going on. So events are not so hot right now. Yeah, no, we had South by Southwest and IBM's Think and pretty much everything closing up shop for a couple of weeks at least. Yeah, everything is kind of closed down and sit and wait. Coachella just closed everything. Uh, yeah, Chris always has a, a phrase. Um, the one of the worst curses out there is "May you live in interesting times." <laughs> we live in interesting yeah. times. Yeah, interesting is not usually a hammock on the beach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not <laughs> no, predictable. It's not. This is an interesting pina colada. I've never heard anybody say that before. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, that's not that good. That's interesting. So I feel like this episode, people are saying, what are you guys going to talk about? And uh, I don't know. We're going to talk about, we said wall to wall, John Wall. Um, <laughs> no, we're going to be uh, going over some AI, some machine learning, talking about your books, obviously, uh, podcasting. Um, one thing I want to get to is I see, and the, the listeners can't see this, but I see behind you <laughs> handle, a stack of lanyards from events. Um, and I know I have a door handle also, and it seems like that's what door handles are for in some, in some places is, uh, is, is lanyards. I always look at them and wonder why I'm not throwing them away. For some reason, I can't bring myself to do it. I might reuse. What if I need one one day and not only one, but 50? Right. Yeah. To do it. No, isn't it? Like you said, that's the stamp of the marketing person. You know, you've got this huge pile of lanyards lying around. And the insane thing for me was, you know, I had done that for over 10 years. I had... I mean, it became a joke, you know, you couldn't use the door handle. In fact, it, I ended up throwing them on like a coat rack, you know, and I had a whole hook and had hundreds of them. And finally, at one point, I was right where you were. It was when we made that transition from, I had taken a gig where I was working from home most of the time. And I was like, all right, am I going to take all these home and actually do it? And so I threw away the entire pile. And that company ended up just being a, a total disaster and nothing worked out there. And so the next company I worked at was Event Hero, an event tech company. So I needed badge samples. And, you know, a year <laughs> later, a year before, I had thrown out like 500 badges, you know, of yeah. every type of every show. And there was a time too, I mean, more like marketing confessions type trade stuff where it used to be simple. There were probably 10 different badge templates. So I could go to the pile at any time and grab one off of there and be able to get into most shows. You know, if you just want to get into the floor oh, yeah. and talk to people, you know, I had you know, you always had the red exhibitor badge and the blue speaker badge and all that. And those would work most of the time. Now with print on demand and all that, you can't get away with any of that stuff anymore. But that's a hell of know. a hack. It's like when you, uh, you know, you'd have the glove compartment full of different color wristbands. <laughs> pop one on for whatever event you were at. Go uh, get into the bar that night with the right, uh, right yeah. combination. Yeah, you're used, hardcore if you have the, the clipper to actually get the button off and on for yourself. <laughs> I used to... Uh, do photography when I was, uh, that was my original occupation. And I remember learning when I started going to events, oh, I can hang a lanyard around my neck and cameras. And the security people never ask you to move your cameras so they can see what the lanyard says. When you have giant cameras, they just assume, I walked into concerts sometimes just because I had a big camera on my neck. And I'd be like, I'm not going to take any pictures, but I can show up and get in for free. This is great. You could just get almost Those are the days. camera. Yeah. Nowadays, maybe not so much, but yeah. An old lanyard and a big camera can get you in a lot of doors. I could. Nowadays, you could probably walk in any of those events with nothing. The doors are <laughs> wide open. <laughs> yeah, right. The convention center is empty right now. It's yeah, crickets. Yeah, yeah the lanyards. You, so you had the hoarder's mantra. 
uh, with the lanyards there. As soon as you threw them away, you were like, I need those. Oh no. I needed it. <laughs> yeah. I could have used that away. stuff because it was crazy too, because you know, badge design was part of the service, you know? So it was like, I, I ended up actually having to order samples and have stuff come back in that I could use and, and run. It's, yep. um, yeah, no, the event space is a, it's whole own animal. It's, it's a crazy, you know, thing to be in, especially this whole idea of you kind of throw everything you've got at it and then you have the event and then you're sick for a week as you recover, you know, because <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's yeah. such an exertion. Yeah. Uh, the downtime created by events is big. I remember some of the advice I gave people on events. I probably got it from your book is make sure you're healthy going into it. I've seen booths that were just wiped out because they had two people they sent to an event and those people were sick or one of the two was sick or just, they were understaffed because one or two people, yeah, that was, that's suddenly bad. you got one guy manning a booth the whole time and he's just dead tired. So he's not doing his job worth a damn. And, um, that kind of stuff is, is, uh, has to be taken into consideration. Oh, it's so insane, isn't it? Because that's the one big ticket item on the budget. To so many of these companies, they don't care about dropping 50 grand on a booth, but then they're going to nickel and dime and, you know, buy ill-fitting polos for everybody. You know, it's just, yeah, I've always, <laughs> yep. I would rather have like the worst booth on the floor, but have more staff than you need, have them look great, have great giveaways, you know, like do everything else top shelf and even spend half that money. That's a really take, great point. Yeah. Take your prospects out for steaks or whatever, you know, or, yeah. you know, or go to a game or whatever, but yeah. It's, yep. Or for some people, you don't even have a booth. You just send people there for the event and, and you can get more out of it than having a crappy booth that brands you as garbage. Uh, I saw one booth at an event a while back that um, the, they didn't show up, but they just hung a sign there. And I think they got more exposure from the sign of just the, their name because it was something about like, you know, about branding or, or properly preparing or like their service was ironic with the fact that their booth was empty. It's like, we're, we're always there.com. And then you just have to sign up. Kind of. but there, there's so many ways things can go wrong and everybody seems to focus on um, you know, what are we going to print on the backdrop at the, at the booth? What's the theme going to be? What's the theme going to be? And then they just run all their event staff ragged so that by the time it comes around, they're too tired to perform. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You make last minute edits to the background and then it doesn't get shipped in time. So they're on the floor with no background. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Cut cost oh on, the, on the people. So you're like, we'll just hire a couple local people to hand out the swag. <laughs> but they, there's they, nothing about you. Yeah, they don't even know what your company does. Like you're not sending the These people These are all the war stories. That's you do an anti-marketing uh, book, you know, on everything. Like, if you want to do everything opposite, do this. It'd probably be pretty hysterical. <laughs> yeah, the oh, uh, the Berenstein Bears uh, B2B marketing. <laughs> you got some alliteration there. You got the dad. Uh, this is going to be way out of the scope of what anybody listening knows. But uh, <laughs> the I dad totally incompetent. Yeah, he's yeah, the, the, the poster child dad. for disasters. People can Google that now. What the heck is a Berenstein Bear, <laughs> old man? <laughs> Um, okay, I want to get into we we haven't even started to barely touch on things here, um, John. I'm your letting company. you lead today. I'm not really sure where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah. Well, KJ, don't worry. No, none of us know where we're going. Our topic is wide open. Okay. We have John Wall, so we're just talking about we're going to cover every any, again wall to wall John Wall today. Um, can you tell us about uh, about Trust Insights, John? What do you guys do over there? How's everything work? What's your role? Yeah, sure. So Trust Insights, we light up dark data. That's, you know, our motto. That's where we have come to this. Uh, Christopher Penn and Katie Robert, my fellow partners, were at Shift PR for years doing uh, PR. And then they fell into doing analysis for PR for a number of years and really mm. digging into, you know, what's working in PR, what doesn't work. And finally, they reached a point where they said, look, this stuff applies to marketing across the board. It doesn't have to be just PR. And we can actually do more if we cut free and start our own firm and dig in with our customers on what's working, not working in their marketing and, and prove that to them. So there's three big buckets that we hit. Um, the most exciting one, you know, the one that gets the press is predictive analytics, where we'll take data and say, okay, look, going forward, uh, a classic example is we use the cheese industry. We have a cheese report that goes out twice a year. And we can say, look, it's um, 
Thanksgiving week, you better be ready with cheddar. You know, it's the, the week after uh, Christmas. You got to have Monterey Jack stacked up because it's nacho time. Wait, and, is this a real thing? The cheese oh, report? The cheese report. You know, it's totally real. <laughs> why <laughs> is it? Why the cheese report? That's I was awesome. just thinking. Is why cheese? Like well, a novelty or is, or is it one of the clients? It's, uh, we have clients in a similar space. We have customers in the food space. And the, the unfortunate part about what we do is because we're always using our clients' internal data, like they never want us to share anything. Yeah. So we do all these cool reports and, you know, you find out cool stuff like, like there's this whole category of products that has nothing to do with dogs. But if you advertise to dog owners, you'll get a bunch of these people because these people tend to be dog owners. You know, there's all right. these weird oh. things. And, uh, and so like, but so back to cheese is an easy example. Like I found out about halloumi. I did not know halloumi was a cheese or a thing until, uh, it's the halloumi, halloumi, halloumi. cheese. It is a grillable cheese. So July, oh. August in grilling season, halloumi is hot. So if you run a, you know, a cheese shop in, uh, May and June, you want to be doing videos and blog posts about, Hey, get your halloumi. Here's how you're going to, you know, grill halloumi this summer. And you'll see the surge in halloumi, um, July, August. And then, you know, the rest of the year, nobody knows what the hell halloumi is, but. So I um, want to step back to this, the whole idea of the cheese report. So you don't have a client that you do the cheese report for. You have clients and the work you do for them is, you know, I tell people all the time, uh, you want a case study on that. Yeah. All that kind of work is under NDA people don't want to put that out. So you basically had to come up with a hypothetical client, create the product for that as a case study. So you could put that, I mean, I'm calling it a case study. It's not, so you could put that out and now you don't have an upset client. So you just chose, I mean, the cheese report's brilliant. Cause if I got an email saying called the, just <laughs> check out the cheese report, report, I'd have to look at it. I mean, I, I, you got to know what that is. Um, yeah, no, that's, that was totally it is that, you know, we couldn't share any of it, but you know, we're able to use all the same models. We built all the stuff. And so we just throw cheese in there instead of, you know, what our other clients stuff and yeah. And everybody gets it, you know, you, you can say, okay, here's your, you know, and it will break it down into a table by week, like every week, here's the cheese that's going to come to the top. And uh, yeah, so you it's build a your literal own. analogy instead of just creating an analogy and saying, <laughs> for instance, you're able it's to a say, literal. we did this just for the to, to be able to show you so you can say, see, just fill in your product product here. That's, uh, that's awesome, John. Yeah. Just tell the story. No. So, yeah. And so that's, that gets a, a lot of play. Like people get that, they can see that. Um, the second one is data mining. You know, we'll just take any set of data and we can dig into it and basically find out what's working, not working in a big subset of that. That's really attribution analysis. You know, we could take all the data from everything you've sold and all the marketing programs you've done and come back with a report and say, okay, did you know that, you know, 50% of your closed deals had Google organic somewhere in the sales cycle. Mm. You know, we can right. do that. Um, so that uh, data analysis is the second big bucket. But then the third segment is, you know, once everybody gets excited about this stuff, they go look at their data and they're like, oh my God, our today is a disaster. You know, everything's a mess. We don't have, you know, we right. <laughs> generate quality reports because everything's garbage. So, so you're uh, talk, we, you, you mentioned dark data which is kind of the opposite of what you just mentioned. And so then there's kind of small data, um, which is they dig into it. They find out they're touching somewhere in Google, Google and Google AdWords or something like that in, in all these sales. But then when they go look to see what are the, the firmographics on those companies, they find out a good portion of data either has the wrong company size and in industry, or it's missing a completely that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. For, for us, the big thing with dark data with us is every marketer has this, right? You've done surveys in the past and you have, you know, all these campaigns that you've run, you have all the data for, and they're just sitting in some folder on your desktop and a bunch mm -hmm. of spreadsheets, you know, oh. and you just never get to them. Yeah, to clarify what I was just talking about, not dark data, the, that's the small data. The, the very specific company, firmographics, that kind of stuff. Yeah, dark data is all that data that sometimes companies don't even know they have. Um, I did a write-up on this recently, which is, um, you know, I analogized it, I think, to all the, the photos on your cell phone that you've taken, or for older people, all the negatives somewhere in your garage that will never be gone through and printed. Um, but you're not going to throw away those negatives, all the lanyards hanging on door handles that you'll never do anything with, but technically it's there in case you needed to, uh, look okay. at a bunch of old lanyards. Um, oh my God. Is that, have you ever tried to find like a photo on your phone that you know, you took like three or four years ago? It's like, oh, yeah. oh totally impossible. 
Yep. It's who knows where you took it off, put it on some drive somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's all that data that companies have, all that dark data. You guys analyze that, make some, identify uh, some usable information from that for their marketing. And then you find on the small data on the front end, they frequently have, have data issues that need to be addressed to, to really know more about what you found with this. The great thing about dark data is it's not inaccurate usually. It's just collected and raw. Yeah, yeah, it hasn't been in there. But you also brought up a great point, though. And the whole end goal of this is, you know, if all these reports and data don't give you anything actionable, there's no point in doing this. I mean, you need to have, you know, you want the results to point you in some direction, even if it's go test here more. Um, you know, that's right. at least something. But yeah, if you don't get, if it doesn't come with a prescription for what to do next, it's just a waste of time. I would imagine if you guys can't figure out what they should be doing more of or next, then the conclusion is they're collecting the wrong kind of data and that's what they needed to be doing next. Yeah, that's, I, we rarely run into that. For, for so many of the customers we run into, it's like we have these 35 systems and we've got four of them connected, you know, and we've got these two systems that can do, you know, we could have 20 email tracks running at the same time. We've got, you know, two three-step emails running right now. You know, just everything is underutilized and not integrated. And that's pretty much the state of the industry. It's very easy for people to buy tools. It takes a lot of work to actually get the most out of a tool. And it's, and unfortunately, the other thing that's crazy with our industry is just there's such an insane amount of churn. You know, we can, we'll come into companies where, like, there's nobody around when those tools were bought four years ago. Like, nobody understands. Right. And in fact, even... Hell, we've had clients where we've saved them money just by showing up and tell them, oh, by the way, you can turn these four things off. Like nobody is using any of this stuff. You're just the only one that knows it's there is accounting when they cut a check once a quarter. Yeah, you have multiple redundant things going on because somebody who's not here was going to uh, do a trial four years ago. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Basically got a bunch of business gym memberships hanging around. <laughs> that's totally the model. Yeah, that's. Uh, I love that. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> that is the Why business model, I think. Why do you think that's the state of the industry? It's just because we're always trying to figure out what's next, what's next, what's next. And we're not really like getting, you know, doing a deep dive into it. We have short attention spans. We, you know, we realize, oh my gosh, that's so much work. We get pressure from C-suite. What is it? Yeah. The, I mean, there's all, a, the above. all the above. I mean, churn is a huge thing. You know, we see in so many places where, you know, somebody will bring in somebody right out of college or some junior person. And after a year, they're able to jump and double their salary going somewhere else, you know? So it's, yeah. and that leaves a wake of tools because usually they've done a couple really cool things to, to get that first pay raise right. uh, and then trying to backfill those jobs. And when you backfill, um, it's rare you'll get somebody that loves the same tool set. You know, a lot of people show up with their own way they like to do things in their own stack. And now that's where it gets really ugly. Yeah, the growth of the MarTech stack isn't a good thing after a certain point. It kind of needs to mature. <laughs> and I've seen um, Scott Brinker say it's, it's starting to mature. We should be getting into a better time where there's some consolidation. So whenever you bring in a new person, they don't always have their own different stack that they want to use. Um, you know, we see it, I'm sure a lot of other companies, the best time to sell somebody your MarTech product or software or whatever it is, is typically when they're new at the job because the new person is going to, wants to bring in their own, oh, you're using this CRM? Well, I like this one because they're probably both good, but the new, you know, the guy coming in likes the one that they already know. And so Yeah, yeah. And because build up. the learning curves are so huge, you know, if somebody's got two or three years under their belt of managing especially something like Eloqua or Infusionsoft, like you, yeah. you don't just get somebody to jump in and run those. No. Yep. Oh, it's true. But especially uh, it's not so uh, intuitive, right? Yeah. I think the, it's, it's on the MarTech industry to make things simpler, um, make things more integrated. You were saying, John, the integration is insane. We get products that are supposed to be fully integrated. Like you said, with emails or running multiple emails on multiple platforms and you must integrate your opt-outs and your balances and all that kind of stuff. And yet these programs that are supposed to integrate from the email system to the uh, CRM, they integrate one direction and not the other because they want <laughs> mm -hmm. you in their platform. They don't, you know, oh, this person opted out. So they will, they'll pull the data from your CRM into the email delivery, but they're not necessarily going to push the information back. So if then you, if you go to push it to another platform, all the opt-outs in that email platform 
they're not reporting back to the CRM. They're reporting from the CRM to them, not the other, other direction. Uh, so the integration, even when it's there, sometimes isn't fully integrated. And sometimes it's just the technology's not there, but sometimes platforms want to keep you in their platform. Oh, yeah. Isn't, and that's only people who have dived in understand that, you know, integration is a vague term. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, it could be everything from, you know, just one single checkbox gets hit over here to the entire databases are synced back and forth. It can be anything. Right. And yep. yeah, there's no substitute for the first time you get that $5,000 a month API call bill, you know, for some integration that's just <laughs> run, run completely rampant and raised all hell. Um, yeah, we have one that says, oh yeah, we, um, we sync every record like every two seconds automatically. <laughs> and individually, there's no batches, right? It's just like each one is a single call. Yeah, we said, can we just have a sync when something's saved? Why constantly like that? It's, it's wreaking havoc on all the systems. Oh, that's just how it's done so that everything's constantly synced. It's real time. Yeah, you've got real time, baby. <sighs> but if it's syncing both directions, you know when you need to sync. It's when somebody hits something that says save. <laughs> Oh no, that makes that makes way too much sense. Come on, you can't, you can't, you know. What if what if I get missed? <laughs> so I hope I'm not pissing off any partners by by talking about what they obviously know as them. Um, but yeah, how about you fix that stuff, guys? Uh, <laughs> not our not our sponsors, definitely. Yeah. That's where consolidation will be great because it's consolidation around the products that are getting it right and serving the customers. And now that these MarTech spots have gotten large enough to have competition within a space rather than just, Oh, this tool exists now, let me get it. But there's 10 of this. Once you have enough of them, the best one can win. And then they actually have to be best instead of just have a good marketing pitch or something. Yeah. But, and it is great that there are finally some killer players and, you know, top tier ones, but it, we're still just faced with like this churn at the bottom end. It's like, you know, there's always new stuff. It's like, Oh, well you need something to automate your Instagram ads and you need something to uh, handle text messaging for you. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, there's still all these other things, but yeah, hopefully those will be add-ons and those will, you know, always integrate. We are at least now at a stage where pretty much everybody is like, okay, if you're not integrating to Salesforce or HubSpot, like you, you have no hope, like you need to do that as table stakes. And so that's, that's great for everybody at least. And then, yeah, hopefully these, you know, players get acquired too. And that stuff gets rolled into the big solutions. It definitely yeah. saves a lot of the hassle. I'd say those players, Salesforce in particular has gravity and everybody has to has to come towards them kind of. And, and if that's, we consolidate around one thing like that, great. It's, you know, you want choice and you want freedom and competition, um, but only when it brings a benefit to the, to the customer. And uh, to me, if we consolidate around one major CRM player, as long as they have the attitude Salesforce seems to have of having this open marketplace for their product, then, you know, great. They're not saying now we're going to make every, possible widget under the sun that works with us they're saying kind of like apple with its uh, app store we're going to create a marketplace and let people create all the stuff and compete within it um, yeah run the platform and well, that's you know fantastic for their stock price too that's for sure yeah so yay go salesforce um <laughs> i expect to see a check in the mail instead of a, a cease and desist uh, um all right i think we need to take a quick break uh we're flying through this we got a lot more to cover um, we've hit on what you guys do there. Trust insights. I want to talk about, uh, about your podcast, marketing over coffee and uh, a lot more here after the break. We are listening to the, if you market podcast, we've got John wall of trust insights on today and we'll be right back. The, if you market podcast is brought to you by mountaintop data and at mountaintop data, we're all about data for B2B marketing. Our goal is to improve the quality depth and coverage of our clients targeted marketing data while removing the technical pain of accessing and implementing data. We help with everything from new target contacts to appending and cleaning existing data, all with the goal to free you and your team up to focus on creating great marketing experiences. Check us out online at mountaintopdata.com and sign up for our new top data search tool and get free access to search our database of over 30 million business contacts. Use the code hashtag IYM when signing up and get 200 free credits. Welcome back to the If You Market podcast. We have John Wall on with us today. We are talking wall to wall, John Wall. We have picked a uh, a title for this episode. Everybody listening, you would have seen it already, but I believe we will end up calling this the Cheese Report. 
after the cheese report put out by Trust Insights, and I would encourage everybody to go out and sign up for the, I think you said quarterly, John, quarterly cheese report? Uh, quarterly quarterly update, cheese yeah. report. It's funny. I feel like Will Ferrell. We're like laughing over the break, you know, and it's like, oh, all the cheese report. Here we are. Now we're back. Who cut the cheese? (laughs) So the cheese report, uh, there's so many things I could dig into on that. I love you mentioned something earlier with targeting people who have dogs because the people who have dogs are tangential to this other thing. So it's not yeah, directly saying, yeah, we're not selling dog food, but people who have dogs tend to, and it gets back to what you guys do at Trust Insights and kind of sometimes you pick up on these things where it's like, yes, if you're selling mustache wax, dog owners might be a good place to start. Uh, they tend to be a certain type of person where you can identify this characteristic that you can use to target, even though it's not the actual product use or, or, or whatnot. The cheese report, all marketers. That could be tangential to them. They're going to want to follow the cheese report. You need to, to keep up with the cheese to know where it's going. Yeah, because it's, I mean, this is the amazing thing for us today is that we can segment so much on every advertising platform. I mean, Facebook is insane as far, that, as far as that. But to be able to, you know, you can do it on a bunch of different levels too. You take your own customer file, you take a look at them and you parse them socially and see what they've got going on. And then you can look at and test all your ad runs too. You know, a lot of you just find these crazy correlations that, you know, maybe there's a certain type of music or maybe there's certain TV shows, but instead of just, you know, spraying and praying, you could double, triple your budget by making sure you're hitting some kind of vertical that, you know, has characteristics that are the same as your, your customer base. Right. If you want uh, tech movers and shakers right now, maybe you want to use AI to identify everybody wearing a Patagonia vest, <laughs> Patagonia on, vest to the- <laughs> on, on Facebook and target those people. What does that have to do with anything? Well, it does right fine. now. Oh, yeah. I don't know. That's a, it's, it's becoming class warfare. I don't know. There's parts of the country. They see that Patagonia vest coming there, bringing up the torches and pitchforks. Right. So maybe if you're in political ads, you know, uh, the person who has a picture wearing a Patagonia vest on their Facebook <laughs> to send them a certain type of political ad, but the person who doesn't, don't send them that kind of ad. Yeah, um, right. You're not advertising pickup trucks and guns to the, the Patagonia squad. Exactly, exactly. And your whole political here's who I am um, ad is going to be very different because you want to get both those people, but not with the same messaging. The, who you are needs to be a different presentation to both of them. Yeah, isn't it? That's so funny. I, I was. I have a thing that we're running. And yeah, you, you either frame it as... Uh, here's why the president's doing great and this is how he's going to stay great. And you have, here's how the president needs to be removed. And <laughs> this is the the messaging that you can counter that. So yeah, it's a completely different message. And yeah, yeah. God forbid you flip those, uh, flip that by mistake, you'll burn your whole budget and go out of business. And then even within those groups, one group can say whether you're for or against the president, you have an agenda you're trying to push, but you still want to put that in front of everybody. You, you want to put your, your product in front of a wide audience, but it's how do you present it to the different people? So the Patagonia wears, you're going to give one message to because you want to win them over, but there's another group that wears something else. The flannel wears, you still want them to buy your product and you're going to give them, uh, you know, the people posing with their monster truck on their, on their Facebook page, <laughs> yeah. they're going to get a different angle for why they should buy your product, why they should be come to your side kind of. Um, and I think that's, that's the analytical thing you guys, you're talking about at Trust Insights, right? Yeah. I've, you know, so much of it is just profiling. And, and so, you know, you take the flannel group and you go analyze everything they've been talking about for the past six months. What are the topics that resonate with them? What's the kind of stuff that they share? And yet you're able to, to match that with your own content and not just get thrown aside or with the rest of the pile. At least hopefully you can get caught up and shared and, you know, be able to tell your story. Yeah, that, that side of marketing, I love what you guys do there. It's very interesting, endlessly fascinating. And uh, again, getting back to the cheese report, you can't really talk about exactly what and how you do with all your clients, but you can with cheese. So uh, <laughs> I'm subscribing. If, if you get nothing else from this podcast, subscribe to the cheese report. You're going to follow the cheese. No, that's, uh, Chris will be excited. He always gets a thrill out of updating the, the latest table. So that's, that's so much fun. And another angle, marketing angle, when your product, is either boring, so you don't want to talk about it, or so cool and secret you can't talk about it. Um, finding something else to market that 
that you can talk about and isn't boring is is a great angle and something you guys could have chose a sucky topic to do a report on you know something super boring but no what you made chose you cheese because everybody loves cheese yeah, I think there's no shortage of cheese data. That's the thing, you know, it's it's easy to get. And the fact that it's so diverse, you know, like, you know, looping back to Halloumi, like there's cheeses out there that you've never heard of that actually may pop to the top now and then under special circumstances. And so that's the kind Do you of, eat more cheese now that you put out the cheese report? Because you're like, oh, I'm going to try that cheese. Uh, we I are already consuming like record amounts of cheese every year, <laughs> year over year. So it's not a, yeah, the, the cheese report is not slowing us down or it's a, the, that train has already run away. <laughs> not necessarily cheese more down. cheese. Yeah, KJ, it's not more. It's the right cheese at the right <laughs> It's different kinds of cheese. I'm looking for a halloumi cheese when it comes grilling. It's grilling cheese always from here. <laughs> Around the clock? Yeah, no, that's uh, I, I'm with you there, too. Anything that can go on the grill or the smoker gets top priority. Before yeah. the cheese report, John Wall was eating Gouda in December. Now he knows better. <laughs> like, well, I just made, I don't know if what Gouda is, but. <laughs> it, it's too bad too, because I'm kind of out in the burbs here. I, you know, I'm a ways outside of Boston. When I was in uh, Natick, right near downtown, there was a cheese shop like two blocks away. I'm so, they're probably thrilled I'm not there. I'd be bothering them every day with the report of the week of like, how are you doing with Edom today? What's going on? Damn it. This guy comes in, sniffs all the cheeses, almost never buys anything. <laughs> yeah. right. He's just getting getting data from us. <laughs> just <laughs> Interviewing serving. our customers. Come on, John. I know. Why do people hate marketing people? I don't get it. <laughs> okay, so all about the cheese report here. Um, <laughs> okay, so moving on from the cheese report, I do want to touch on your latest book. Uh, can you tell us a little more about that? Not a coffee table book, got it derived from the podcast. So let's kind of mix those two together. Maybe the um, marketing over coffee podcast and the, the book that has come out of that. Can you tell us about that, that evolution, how you got into podcasting, what you guys talk about there? All yeah, it's, you know, I mean, we've been doing it for, it's going on 14 years now and it's always been the same thing. Anybody that's in marketing has this problem, right? You go to family gatherings or to a cocktail party and people ask what you do and you start telling them a story or two and their eyes glaze over. They just don't want to hear it. They don't <laughs> understand at all. You know, they don't know what SEO is. It's all just magic yeah. to them. I yell insurance and then more people crowd around me if I said <laughs> B2B marketing. And it's an upgrade. Yeah, yeah. And so th there's always been, and it even goes back to blogging, this idea of that by talking about some of the stuff that we worked on over the past week, and having a community of people that actually do understand what we do, you know, you can share stories of what's going on and, and what's working and not working. You can actually be better at your job because people are willing to share this stuff because, you know, most of us are in non-competing industries. Like it makes yeah. no difference if I'm talking about how, you know, the cheese report works to some church organization or to a funeral home or whatever. Like we can share these tips and tricks. And no and competitors are going to steal your cheese client. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody wants the cheese. You know, if you, the shoe companies are staying away from cheese and it, it's just the, getting real tactical tips and um, case studies and results from people in the field actually doing stuff is stuff you just can't find anywhere else. You know, I mean, there's, you know, from Forbes and Inc. and all these magazines, they're going to give you kind of these big general proclamations about what to do for business. But to have somebody sit down and say to you like, okay, look, SEO is your number one priority. Like you've got to make sure that your web page is straight and then email after that and then CRM system after that. And here's five things you need to think about when you're picking your CRM system. And you know, all those kinds of things that um, most people are just making up on the fly. Like the colleges and universities, the stuff moves too fast for them to keep up with it. And there's no substitute from, you know, talking to the people who were doing it last week. And um, it can make a huge difference in your ability and to extend your budget to make you more successful. It's, um, yeah, that's always been the driving force with this. And so the playbook is just the same thing. It's kind of a lot of, it, it just breaks down all the major categories. And we've done some more work with that. And I'm starting to finally get that a little more aligned. But, you know, there's really only about 19 different ways you can spend your money, you know, in different types of things. And, uh, you know, if you just give somebody the whole list of 19 and say, look, here's five things to try in each of those 19, that's a complete marketing plan. You know, you, you don't need to know anything about the industry. You can at least get started. And yeah, there's going to be a lot of painful, uh, you know, crashes and burns as you go, but right. hopefully you'll find two or three winners before the money's gone. What's the name of the book? 
What's the name uh, of the playbook? The Marketing Over Coffee playbook. You know, we're trying to leverage the show as much as we can. And then the subtitle is More Wins and Wrecks. And so we've got... There the, we go. The, Here's the holy trinity. You got a graph going up to the right, a cup of coffee, and then a dumpster fire because that's you know, happens yeah. now and then. If you can't uh, put out a dumpster fire, you're not going to last. Yeah, no, that's everybody has their their favorite dumpster fire stories. We're yeah, in like a said. nationwide dumpster fire right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, our uh, my healthcare plan. Given how much I pay for health insurance, you'd think I'd have a doctor coming to my house to help me. But I don't know. And, again, interesting times. So marketing over coffee, how do you take your coffee, John? <laughs> that's, uh, that's a terrible confession, man. You, you've hit the dirty <laughs> secret. Um, I'm one of those you people. Don't, wait, I, you don't drink coffee. Is that the confession? Well, well. I, I usually, the, joke, the joke is that I do like some coffee in my cream and sugar. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm one oh, of those people. So, uh, but, and most of the year it's iced. I'm a huge, which also a lot of serious people are like, yeah, that's not legit. You're, you don't belong. What? Iced coffee is not legit? Oh yeah. No, that iced coffee is not, you know, that's for the unwashed. Iced coffee is typically stronger. Yeah. Stronger. Oh, well, they'd say it's stale. You know, it sits in the fridge for a couple of days and gets rank <laughs> as far as a, a barista is concerned. I guess but, it depends on how you brew it, right? But yeah, that, yeah it's not now because, yeah, I have, you know, of course, because of the show, I have had to try everything. Like I do have a cold brewer. I have my own espresso machine. We have a Keurig. We have, it's like we have all this junk in the kitchen. Um, so it's not st- that you're a tea drinker. You're just a like coffee sugar like a sugar cream coffee person. Sugar cream coffee. I mean, yeah, I I need that sugar and caffeine. It'd be funny if you hit. were only a tea drinker. <laughs> if I get, yeah, it, yeah, the then whole it thing. It, the whole thing was kind of well. The big, you know, the hook for the story was when we originally started. We were at a Dunkin' Donuts. You know, I had to talk Chris into meeting up with me, mm-hmm. and you know, doing this podcast in his spare time. And the only way I could do that was like meeting him at like five thirty in the morning at this Dunkin' Donuts that was both you know near where we lived. And, and we did that for years and years, but you know, now the technology is so good. It actually sounds better if we're just virtual from our desks, but yeah, it had the, uh, you know, the, the charm of the coffee alarm and the donut alarms going off in the background and the, the, the help yelling at people. And the fact that we were like there for three years and at no point where we remembered <laughs> as regulars, you know, You're because the same never. Coffee three years in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's like That's every funny. day we show up in the same order and, you know, never at any point would be like, Hey, good to see you guys again. You know, it's not happening. Yeah, what do you- <laughs> also, I, I heard uh, the title marketing over tea just didn't have the same <laughs> no. wasn't sticky enough. Yeah, no, no. Marketing it folk. Uh, too proper. <laughs> that's the British version if we're going to yeah. have the BBC do a – they'd only do six episodes a year, though. You know how the, that goes over there. Yeah, I listened to podcasts early on trying to find B2B because the only marketing was talking about kind of enterprise consumer marketing. And so many of them, it was like they were at a coffee shop but they were outdoors in New York at a, it was, you're just hearing sirens and cars <laughs> driving by and people saying, Hey, you're going to leave that table. Come on, bro. You've been there all day. Like you couldn't hear what was going on. It was so atrocious. I would listen for a couple episodes and just be like, the sound quality is, is terrible. Not you guys. I'm talking about other. Oh yeah. No, no bad podcasts are just, you know, bad sound. I was like, you could say dumb stuff. I don't care. Just, I need to be able to hear it. Yeah, yeah, understand it. and Or, you know, like you're in your car and you have to turn it up to hear some part and then the next thing comes in and blows your face off. Yeah, it's just- yeah. The technology has come a long ways to, to make it easier for everybody though. So, so that's great. So you like your... Uh, milk and sugar with a coffee flavor to it. <laughs> with a, yeah, it's a, melted coffee ice cream is really about what, <laughs> what I'm shooting for. <laughs> all right, well, all those uh, snobs in their Patagonia vests with their, uh, <laughs> you got to have your coffee done this way. Can, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll be fine. They'll get over it. <laughs> they can take a pass today. I just uh, bought it. I just put it on my Kindle. There you go. Bam. Oh, all right. Thank you. Another happy copy. That's too bad we can't sign the digital ones I'd send you. Too bad. Let's figure yeah. out a way. <laughs> There's got to be a way. All right. We are getting close to the end here. I want to make sure we can cover anything and everything that, that you want to uh, that you want to talk about, John. One thing that we haven't talked about much, machine learning, AI, you guys do a ton of that. You, I've heard 
love talking about that back to the kind of the cocktail party theme here. <laughs> KJ and I like to think of this podcast as, you know, we've said before, it's pretend you're at a cocktail party and people actually want to hear you talk about BB marketing <laughs> and then go. That's kind of what we do here. But, it's don't, very loose. but don't drink on the podcast because I think it would go nowhere if we That's did fine. that. I was expecting you to say scotch is what you have in your coffee, John, but <laughs> that's, oh yeah, no, it's getting too old for that. That just knocks me out cold. I can't, <laughs> totally productivity killer. Yeah, the, but, you know. um, AI, since we, we're at this party, we have all these people that actually want to hear about this stuff. <laughs> can you, can you tell us a little bit about AI machine learning, where it's going, anything you can tell us about how you, how you guys actually use it? Yeah, sure. It's, you know, and AI is just such a, a different thing because it's kind of become the latest shiny object. You know, everybody's like, yes, we've got AI in our, uh, you know, our CRM or our marketing automation or what an AI is there, but really artificial intelligence. I mean, the term was created back in the late fifties, like in 1956, it's been around forever. And really? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, um, we've never had the computational power to actually do this stuff until about 20 years ago. And only in the last five has it become so cheap that now we can actually kind of dig into some of these tools and kind of do some of this stuff. But yeah, a lot of this stuff has been around, you know, for over 50 years, like the, the playbook is there and it's just been waiting for the computing power to catch up to it. Um, and, and having enough data to crunch because in a yes. lot of areas, right? There's just, you have to have a lot of data for AI machine learning to to mean anything. If you don't have a large enough data set, there's nothing to extract. It's, it's just a waste from. of time. It's, you know, really probability and statistics is machine learning, but because you only have, you know, we have 2000 survey results to collate. Well, we can do that with a calculator. We right. don't need or machine you know, learning. If you flip a coin once and tell it now, figure out for me what I should do here. Like you only flipped it once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, again, you your abacus is conclusion from this. <laughs> you're, you're golden. And yeah, so it's having so much stuff. And then the other problem is AI and machine learning is focusing on what the product is and does. And the way technology works is that eventually it will get a name based on what it delivers to the customer. So the example I always throw out for this was in the 90s, people were talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning being able to categorize the whole internet and read everything on the internet. Uh, well, you know, fast forward five years, we have search engines. We don't talk right. about AI or machine learning anymore. We just have search engines that do this. Right. Yeah, you know, um, Alexa over here, I, I use the other code word because I get sick of her waking up every time I talk about her over here. She, you know, she's using AI and machine learning to understand what we say. And, uh, but now we have smart speakers. Like we don't say it's AI anymore. It's just smart speakers. So the AI term is kind of this moving target that just attaches itself early to these technologies. And then as it, you know, matures into something, people just stop calling it that. So it's interesting. I think you usually see that with products too. When a new thing first comes out, it's kind of called what it does. And then eventually it's, you get Uber and you're like, well, what does that mean? It's like, why isn't it called the picking people up and taking them to places company or something like that? <laughs> um, it, it kind of uh, either evolves into something innocuous and random sounding or, into the the problem it's solving rather than calling cars the internal combustion machine machines. <laughs> right, right. It has an, yeah, and it's because there's always this hype cycle. You know, in the beginning, everybody freaks out about it and then it crashes and burns. And if it survives for like three or four more years, usually, then suddenly it's just, yeah, we get an Uber and like nobody thinks about it anymore. I want to see early names for big inventions like the aeroplane probably wasn't called. It was something, some weird, long, <laughs> crazy name about... Um, how to get things to float in the air magically or something. To leverage, well, like, yeah, people movers and mm -hmm. locomotion machines and, yeah, this whole graveyard of phrases we never use for stuff anymore. Every once in a while, you get a juicer, and it's just a juicer. <laughs> you actually have something that does that. Yeah, we call that, that's cup of soup marketing. That's like the ultimate, if you can yeah. come up with something that's just, like, so obvious in the name that it can't be missed and everybody will. And that's, you know, that's what we're going to be asking Alexa for. You know, you'll just be like, Alexa, get me a juicer. And man, you, you want to be number one on the list because Alexa's only throwing one back at you. Yep. Okay. So anything else about AI people should know other than don't worry about it. It's going to be powering behind the scenes things you're actually using. Um, unless you're working in the industry, you don't really need to understand it all. I'm picturing a naked Arnold Schwarzenegger saying like, give me all your data so I can make a sense of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that is true. It's, it's so much of it will be baked into the tools. I think the big idea that you can take away is it's just great for 
analyzing piles of data so huge that you could never get through. You know, so it's like if you want to see every tweet from a five-day trade show that had 90,000 people at it, machine learning is the way to go. You throw that data in there and it will just come back with a graph and be like, okay, here's the 10 most influential people that were at that show. Does it typically extract those tangential things you were talking about that you wouldn't draw a direct connection or is it more frequently here's five kind of known connections and it's analyzing to find which one is the strongest and at what levels and, and whatnot. Yeah, most of it now is the first, you know, you just, you're throwing piles and piles and piles of data at it, you know, data on every single hobby that's possibly out there. And, and it's also smart enough to know that it can go and say like, okay, let's look at this data set. How many times does dog show dog owner show up, you know, in this mix and it can give you that number so you can say, okay, there is a correlation. It may not be a causation, but there's at least a correlation. But you have enough computing power so that you can say, okay, let's run the same thing now and let's take all the dog owners out and let's find out if it is dog owner that really makes the difference or not. Hmm. And so you're actually able to validate because you can just crunch all the data, all the wins, all the losses, everything from everybody and get a real accurate picture of you know, how often things show up and if they actually make a difference or not. So given enough data, it's, it's almost identifying personality traits that are going to help you target a segment audience that have little or nothing to do with your product, your service. Like you might find out from a trade show within this group of people, you can't apply it outside the data set. Um, within this group of people, you know, people who like Iron Man and the piano are your best target audience. It has nothing to do with the trade show, but that's your personality identification across all the data. Yeah, and the, one of the crazy things we've seen with this that is, you know, privacy freaks are just lose their mind over is that you can have somebody that is has no social profile, you know, that is not giving up any of their data. But if we can say, okay, you're friends with these five people and we know that these five people fit this profile, we're 90% you know, certain that you're going to fit that profile, even if you're not privacy, giving up. Privacy violation by association. <laughs> you're, yeah, having your privacy violated by, you know, your friends who have no concern for privacy. The Kevin Bacon, seven degrees of separation, right? <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> AI learning, right? You've been sold out by Kevin Bacon. Yeah, I don't know what we would call that, the, the Kevin Bacon mm. Think like formula what, or something. What tier of Kevin Bacon are you on? And you're going to get different marketing based on that, regardless of whether we know anything about you. Um, okay. So this is a whole nother podcast we're getting into potentially with the privacy stuff. In my company, we deal with, with data and the selling of data. So obviously we deal with a lot of privacy issues. I have a lot of strong opinions on privacy. That tangential aspect of it is interesting. Not something I'd really considered before, but to me, it's always where do you draw the line in all these arguments? Some people say everything about me is my private information and no one has the right to have it. And other people say, hey, everything is public and if companies want to provide a better experience, they can know anything and everything about you. And I say the line is somewhere in there, but there's a huge landscape in between there. Yeah. And you know, a great example, Seth Godin threw this down on me one day and like melted my brain. It really has nothing to do with privacy and it's all about trust. Because like if we went to any group of a hundred business travelers and said, look, you give us all of your, you know, personal data that we want and we'll let you skip security. You can just walk right to the gate. You know, 99% of them be like, oh yeah, I'm in, I'm good to go. Put me over right. there. Um, and think about at the other end of the spectrum, credit card companies, they pretty much have your whole life. They know all of your purchases. They know where you've been. They know what you've done. But God forbid, like if one credit company, credit card company sends out an email saying, hey, we noticed that you were sending flowers to your girlfriend. Why did you, here's $50 off a VD test over at the clinic. You know, that trust is violated. That's when it explodes. And so- uh, you know, yeah, they accidentally sent it to your wife, though. So they have the data. They don't have it all very good. <laughs> That's right. And your wife gets a thousand off at the divorce <laughs> yeah, attorney. Yeah, you're right. You know, it's, it's, so it's, it's all about that line of trust. Because really, yeah, I don't know. I kind of just go by the um, thought that my privacy is pretty much gone already. Like, pretty, you know, if you look at my purchase history and everything else. And the other side of that, too, is it's not that damn interesting. You know, 99% of the time I'm like on my way to work or cleaning something up in the house. So it's not like I have, a, yeah. if I had a more exciting life, maybe it'd be different. I posed the question to someone recently on the privacy issue. I said, well, do you, do you have 
the right to remember the names of people you meet? And what's the difference between you remembering something and it being stored in a computer? Um, because if you start saying, I'm sorry, but I went to my favorite, you know, I went to Dunkin' Donuts to record the podcast. And when the guy said, uh, when the guy said, Hey, John, do you want the regular? I freaked out on him for, for data privacy violation. And you're like, no, you want that guy to know that. Okay. So that's what most companies do with data. They use it to provide a better experience. Now there's a dark side to it. Absolutely. Um, and there's, there is a line somewhere in there, but where to draw that line and for people to realize that plenty of people tell me you own all of your information. It's all yours. Nobody has the right to use it without paying you to use it. Saying so, no, once you leave your house, you're in what's called public. And people are allowed to look at you and remember your face. That's called facial recognition. They're allowed to remember your name. They're allowed to recognize who you're hanging out with and make assumptions about you based on that and whether they want to interact with you and whether they want to buy what you're selling and whether they want to based on what you're wearing. Like this is what we do as humans all the time. Using it to be more efficient in marketing is great. Using it to manipulate marketing is bad. Deciding where the line to draw there is. Well, I think the line to draw there is just that, the intention behind it. Right. But how do you identify yeah. that? And then where do you draw the line between also what's socially acceptable and what's legally acceptable? Because there are always <laughs> yeah. two different lines there. They're, not, they're almost never the same line um, between those two things. So again, that's why I say a whole other podcast for the, or a series of them or a, not just a single podcast, but a, a whole show could be around this specific topic. It could uh, be. Yeah, no, there's, there's so, many, so many places you can go. And it's, you know, now we see people complaining about, oh, I get all these ads about my favorite hobbies and stuff. It's like, well, we could go back to punch the monkey mortgage ads, you know, if you really yeah. want that. But, you know, how about we give you stuff that you might actually want to buy? The relevant ad, um, you know, I don't need to be receiving ads about feminine hygiene products <laughs> and women probably don't need to be receiving ads about male hygiene products. Um, so when marketing can get more relevant to you and your actual interest, that can be a good thing. Yeah. Everyone's best interest. It's true. And, uh, God, I think I, I wrote something on this relating to spam huge in our industry. The better we get at data, the deeper it gets, the less spam becomes a technique because if you have a million emails and you don't know who's who, but you want to market your product out, you send out to all million. If you know what their titles are, now you can just send your message to the person in IT who's relevant. It, the more you know about the people, the less marketing messaging you have to put out, the more account-based you can get, the more specific you can get. And then you're not just spewing messaging out. You're, you're putting out very specific, relevant information. Yeah, is it's in everybody's best interest. It's just amazing that I don't know some people just still don't get the message and spray and pray all the time. It's yeah. amazing that they can still get away with it. Oh, we got a viral moment coming here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is my BBC uh, assistant. Yeah. <laughs> Bring in the marching band. Spider-Man, where are you? Oh, there you are. She's got the whole world too. Okay, thanks for the special appearance. We're doing some work here. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, fantastic. Hi. No, I'm not giving you my headphones. Get out of here. <laughs> you can have them soon. We're wrapping up. Oh uh, John, that's awesome. Thank you for coming on. I'm <laughs> glad we stretched it a little long to get that. So uh, we're going to have everything on the show notes for this. Any last, anything you want to throw in there, John? No, just you know, swing on over to Marketing Over Coffee. If you want to uh, check us out over there, we're always talking about marketing stuff and we'd love to see you. Yeah. And uh, as much as Marketing Over Coffee is competition, so... I, <laughs> No, I would say there's, there's tons of great content. Marketing Over Coffee, Coffee is a fantastic podcast. I've been listening to you guys for a long time. Super excited to have you actually on our show today. Um, so everybody check that out, uh, Marketing Over Coffee. If you're not already subscribed to that, subscribe to it. And uh, the Marketing Over Coffee playbook and the B2B Marketing Confessions is a great book. Go out and get that one. They're all on the audio book as well. Um, John's company, trustinsights.ai. Uh, go check them out. Uh, if your company's looking for any sort of uh, machine learning, AI-based uh, data analysis to try to figure out what type of dog owner you need to be marketing to or what type of cheese you need to be eating, um, check that out. Uh, follow the, the cheese report. I know I'm going to be finding that and following it soon here, John. Definitely. And uh, you can find all this on the show notes at ifyoumarket.com. And uh, please, please uh, follow us. 
Uh, share us, tell a friend, give us a good review on iTunes. That's the If You Market podcast. And on behalf of Carla Joe Helms, the If You Market team, and John Wall of Trust Insights, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it, I guess with, with cheese, <laughs> they will come. They will come. All right. Thanks, John. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.